This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. As far as the actual sitting down in front of a laptop? Yeah. Wow, that's like internet blocking software and timers <laughs> and getting up and moving around and swearing a lot. This is Finding the Throughline, the show that gives you inside access to honest conversations about the creative process. I'm Kate Hanley. I have been making a living from writing for 20 years and I am still continually seeking ways to stay inspired and excited about the work I'm doing. Finding the through line is my way of getting inside the minds of creative people I admire and finding out how they stay connected to themselves and their work so that I and you and everyone who listens to this podcast can gain some insights and inspiration that apply to our lives and our work too. Today, I'm talking with Lee Medeiros, an award-winning screenwriter, author, and all-around creative who, when she isn't making her own work, is helping others make theirs. Lee is the author of The One Minute Writer, 396 Micro Prompts to Spark Creativity and Recharge Your Writing. She also writes a column for Script Magazine called The Climate Screenwriter and is the co-producer of the Writing Climate's Pitch Fest. Lee also founded the Linden Place Writer's Residency in Bristol, Rhode Island. And as you can probably tell by how many times I've said the word climate in this intro, Lee is devoted to helping artists create work that reflects the world around us. And fun fact, she hugs trees. I also just want to say that I am lucky enough to know Lee in person. And every time I see her, I feel like my batteries get recharged and I just want to give her a huge hug and Take in every word that she says like manna from heaven. So, Lee, I am so excited to have you here today. Thank you. That was such a beautiful intro. Thanks, Kate. I <laughs> always love seeing you. And you're one of the people that when you get together and chat with someone, like you said, your batteries are recharged. It We generate energy together. And it's like my heart yes. kind of perks up and my energy perks up. And I just am really happy to be here. Oh my God. I'm so psyched to introduce you to some people too. And I just want to give you the scoop on how these things go and for our listeners too. So I'm going to ask you questions that fall into three basic categories, practical matters, inner stuff, for lack of a better term, and what's coming up for you. And then for people who are listening to the free version of this podcast, which I completely welcome and appreciate, each section of questions is going to come in its own short, little, easy-to-consume episode, and there are going to be ads in those episodes to help me keep the lights on around here. But if you are listening and you're like, I'd love to skip the ads and just mainline this episode all in one go, <laughs> you could do that. You can come follow me on Substack at katehanley.substack.com and become a paid subscriber for a very small fee which honestly, full disclosure, I haven't even figured out yet. You have to come to Substack and see what the pricing is. But then you get the unedited ad-free version of this episode 
in advance. It's going to come out on Sundays as opposed to waiting for Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for each little piece to come out. And there's also some other cool perks to becoming a paid subscriber, including a monthly Zoom gathering designed to help you find your own through line in community with your fellow listeners. I'm super excited about that. So if that is appealing to you, come to katehanley.substack.com. Okay, that's my spiel. (laughs) Let's dive into some good questions. All right, Lee, I'm curious. What drew you to the work that you're doing now? Work being sort of this big amorphous term that can mean anything that is just what you are devoting your time to and putting your energy into. Well, right now I'm doing, as you mentioned, a lot of work around climate and climate issues, specifically in the overlap of the Venn diagram, creative writing and climate change. And so there are sort of two prongs what I would call my work, my own personal creative writing work, and the work that I do to support creative writers, both of which right now deal with screenwriting. It hasn't always been that way. I've worked with all sorts of artists and creatives, but I've sort of in the last year or two really honed in on screenwriting again. I say again because I I want to say I consider myself a failed screenwriter, although it's just been an ongoing unfolding. It's like the boyfriend that you keep breaking up with, but it's never really over. So right (laughs) now, what drew me to my personal work is, as I said, so I had thought that I had left screenwriting behind and I saw that there was a fellowship, a climate screenwriting fellowship. And I was like, oh my God, I really want to support this. They had a really specific vision. It's called the Blacklist Climate Storytelling Fellowship. They're a a screenwriting organization out in Los Angeles. And they were specifically looking for scripts that had solution-oriented takes. They wanted to sort of let go of the idea of all climate storytelling being disasters or doom and gloom or dystopian. And I kind of felt like, I wonder how many scripts are out there like that because it's a new way of looking at climate. And so Mm. I started screenwriting again to, you know, of course, throw my hat in the ring, but also because I wanted to support the work they were doing. And so I've been working on my own scripts with a climate angle. And then the other prong of my work is the climate pitch fest, writing climate pitch fest, which is part of the Hollywood climate summit. And that work was, it really was kind of born of the Hollywood climate summit. I was there as an attendee. I had an incredible experience, like networking with the people who were there, which was a mix of creatives, artists, filmmakers, studio heads, and climate folks. So environmental, you know, folks, biologists, and I pitched to the organization like, hey, have you thought about supporting screenwriters who have climate scripts? And they brought me on board to to basically produce the Pitch Fest. Co-produce, I should say. I have some awesome co-producers. So yeah, so it's really, I guess the what drew me to it was the place that locked in was, oh my gosh, there's a real overlap here with creative writing and climate. And I think that that is to just give a little bit to the side. I'll take this combo. Whoever's listening, whatever you work in, whatever, whether you're a nurse or a carpenter, whatever you do, there is a climate angle to it. And so Mm -hmm. that was what drew me to what I'm currently doing is finding that spark of that overlap of my passions and my interests in that world. That's so cool because 
you mentioned that you heard about that fellowship and it kind of sparked this idea. And I'm not somebody who's interacted with like the fellowship world or the retreat center or what have you, but you also have started a fellowship of your own or a writer's residency of your own. And I don't know, this is just like opening up kind of doors in my mind of like, oh, there are things out there to sort of support us in our creative work and help guide us toward needs in the world. And how cool that that kind of like made some light bulbs go off for you. Because I also having to know, happening to know you personally, know that you are just like a, I mean, I consider you a naturalist. I don't, is, is that the right term? Like you didn't come by cl- your interest in climate just accidentally, right? Can you tell us a little bit about how that played into your Venn diagram? Yeah. So I would, I was the eighties kid that had the save the whales poster. And <laughs> so when you grow up in that era, you you hear about certain things, you know, Greenpeace, you know, you have the Greenpeace bumper sticker, or I did. But I don't know how much I connected that to my own life. You know, it was always out there. Nature's out there. Something's happening out there. Two things. And my life went along. I pursued a career in the arts. So a lot of focus on fine arts, a lot of focus on writing. And, you know, a continued interest in nature, in out there. And then it started to become more personal. And I think for, you know, I will say the caveat, I'm a white, middle-class, suburban woman. It has been front and center and very personal for a lot of people for a long time, specifically indigenous and historically excluded populations for many reasons. So, but for me, you know, it took time for it to get closer and closer to me where I started to see it reflected around me more specifically. And then of course, I think it's been kind of on overdrive for the past few years in terms of, wow, okay, the wildfire smoke is affecting all of us now. And this real massive heat wave that we've experienced even up here in the Northeast, you know, so it started to get more and more obvious that things were different than they were when even we were younger, I think. Maybe they weren't different, but the optics changed. And mm-hmm. so I listened to a podcast in, I think it was 2016, and it's called Drilled. And the journalist who created the podcast was doing a very deep dive expose on the ways in which the fossil fuel industry covered up what they knew to be true about using fossil fuels. And it basically radicalized me when I really listened to that podcast, which included all of these scientists from Exxon, they, they worked there in the 70s and 80s, talking about their groundbreaking research and thinking that the company was going to go in this sustainable energy direction and instead shut them down. And I felt a real rage, to be honest, a real, wow, like this is being done to us. This is not something that's happening naturally. So I had that simmering without knowing what to do with it because I was just an artist and I just, I don't know, I'm a writer and I help writers and I help artists. And and then I listened to another podcast. You can see I'm a podcast fan. So I listened to another podcast called America Adapts, which is an awesome guy named Doug Parsons. And Doug has a science background and it's a very sort of climate science podcast way over my head. So I was constantly like zoning out and having to rewind. <laughs> And he had this one episode that was like Hollywood and climate. And I thought, okay, this is now I, now I can understand what they're talking about. But I was trying, I was trying to learn. I was trying to learn more, trying to like, you know, 
what do they um, talk about when you want to learn something, you go just above the level that you're at so you can stretch into it. So I was trying mm-hmm. to learn more about just climate issues. And I listened to this woman, Cheryl Sleen, talk about founding this program in Los Angeles where she worked with big studios and production companies on integrating climate issues into their scripts and into their stories. And then that was the big light bulb moment. Oh my God, there is an overlap in creative writing and climate for me, which is my passion is screenwriting. So that's kind of how it sparked. And I'm forgetting if there's something else that see, I've already gotten off track. (laughs) What was the original thread, Kate? Did I answer it? You totally did. I was asking you like how your just interest in nature contributed to that aha moment when you saw the fellowship. Like it wasn't just that it was this issue and creative writing, but it was also something that just is a big piece of who you are and what you care about. And I think that that's like um, sometimes those things that you are you care about or you just have been geeking out on since you were a kid can seem like you're talking about like climate kind of other or not related to your work. But then we have these moments where it's like multiple streams are coming together. And I think that's so cool. I was also going to say, hooray for podcasts. (laughs) God bless podcasts. I mean, (laughs) I don't know what I would do without podcasts, especially now after having X amount of years on social media and the internet and and my brain being a little bit mushy. Like it's just wonderful to hear people talk about things and not try to always read, which is terrible to say because I have a book and I support writers, but my attention span (laughs) sometimes can't hold it. So podcast is just such a wonderful form of storytelling and information. Just what's the word? Distribution. But I was going to say moments of integration are really part of the creative journey and sometimes I think when we find those moments, they were like up leveling. So we have the, you know, I think of this like pyramid, this sort of chunky pyramid as we're going along doing our work. And then we hit this little, what seems like a wall or not a block from so much as a, I, I'm not sure how to describe it, but I just think about like, I was very siloed. As I said, it was, here's the climate, here's the environmental issue over here. You know, when I'm out in the world, when I'm reading about certain things or when I'm donating to organizations, I'm thinking about that. But when I'm creative writing or working in the arts, it's over here. And then to come upon these moments, and I'm just using those as two examples from my own life, but I think any artist will have these interests. And I think when you get closer to your authentic self, closer to your, if you want to call it purpose, these silos start to merge and something inside of you is becoming integrated. And those moments of integration, I think, are getting us closer and closer to a really, I don't want to, channeling sounds so woo-woo, but it's like you start to align. Everything starts to align. And I think for me, it feels like I'm getting closer and closer to a full expression of myself, as opposed to this sort of scattered disintegrated parts, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lee, what kinds of practices or habits do you do that help you stay in that connected, creative place? Yeah. So almost every morning, I do a cacao ceremony with the trees. So I have a sensitive nervous system like a lot of artists, and I can't do caffeine really well. Cacao kind of found me in the spring, and I thought, well, it's said to be heart medicine, heart opening. And at that time in the spring, I I felt, you know, coming to the end of a New England winter, I felt very calcified. (laughs) So (laughs) I started it's meant to be shared. It's a medicine that's meant to be shared. I did not want to share it with people. On a mm-hmm. sort of emotional level, I felt that that would be a lot for me. And also on a practical level of trying to just get together with people and make plans. So I said, well, who am I going to share it with? And I'm going to share it with the trees. So basically, I make my cup of cacao and I go and I, I do the gratitude practice that's associated with it, thanking the elements and talking to the tree, asking if I can sit with it. And I just sit and I drink the cacao and I try to commune with the tree, which I know sounds a little woo-woo, but it is, I think, a very natural, a natural part of life to commune with non-human beings. And we've maybe lost a little bit of that. So it's been very connective and very expansive for my consciousness. And also, yeah, I can't say enough about going out in the morning and spending time outside. I can talk and talk and talk about that. But that is, so what happens is I do my cacao ceremony. I come inside, I get in front of the altar on the yoga mat. I do some stretching and then I do my communion with whether it's the ancestors or the deities. Sometimes I do chanting. Sometimes I do various energy management practices. And all of that I will say is to expand my capacity And I think that's an important thing for artists to consider that, right? Like, for instance, right now I'm trying to, I'm working on a a script project that is very big. It's a TV pilot, which means it's not just a singular thing, it's connected to Mm. a series, a season, you know, it's got a bigger and it's very difficult. And so I have to energetically expand my capacity to hold that project. And so, all of that work in the morning, which seems this this is the silo thing. That's my spiritual life over there. And this is my creative writing life. It's not siloed for me. It's like one really feeds into the other, opening up that space, tapping into my heart, tapping into quote unquote nature, getting outside and feeling apart. A-P-A-R-T, one word, 
not <laughs> A-P-A-R-T, two words, feeling a part of things. Mm-hmm. All of that is really important to my creative practice. So that would be my biggest answer in terms of the practices. As far as the actual sitting down in front of a laptop, yeah, wow, that's like internet blocking software and timers <laughs> and getting up and moving around and swearing a lot. And I have these attention shoes, which have, you know, they're meant to be, I don't know if they work, but they're called attention shoes. And I chew those to try to remain focused. And what else do I do? There's probably other things, but yeah, it's like a running, I liken it to like, it's like marathon mode. I'm like, okay, how am I going to stay focused? Really all of the things that pull us away. It's like, it's really trying to cocoon myself from the world. I turn put my phone downstairs. It can't even be near me. It's on do not disturb mode. I just breath it's a re- it's like on the wrestling mat with my brain trying to stay focused. So so these are some of my <laughs> some of my tools and practices. Well I'm taking notes because I feel those same struggles. And I have to share that I thought you said attention shoes. Like <laughs> specific pair of shoes that you had put on that was like, I have to focus when these shoes are on. And I was thinking to myself, like, I've never heard of this. And it's freaking genius. I used to work with a coach who would have, he didn't call them that attention shoes, but he would change his outfit. It was the idea of like, like a superhero puts on their cape. That was part of his creative practice was getting ready in a particular way that makes you feel powerful. But also it speaks to talismans, I think, that there are certain items that we have, whether it's shoes, whether it's a crystal, whatever, that we feel holds a certain power. And so I think artists should think on that too. What kind of talismans do you have? It could be your favorite writing pen. It doesn't have to be something weird. But grounding yourself with those as well, it's sort of, I think, when you have a repetition with talismans or with special objects when you sit down to work, it grounds you into your practice. There's a part of your energy or body that's like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing right now. We know this is related to this thing. So creative talismans. I love it. All right. That concludes our section of questions on kind of the practicalities or the realities of how Lee has gotten to where she is today and how she goes about her work when it's time to do so. Coming up in the next Finding the Throughline episode, I'm going to talk to Lee about things that are more internally focused. Finding the Throughline airs one interview per week, broken up into three episodes that come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for free. Skip the ads and get each interview in one longer episode by becoming a paid subscriber at katehanley.substack.com. Even if you aren't ready to get out your wallet just yet, become a free subscriber at katehanley.substack.com and receive the full show notes with links to everything my guests and I cover. However you listen, thank you. Finding the Throughline is edited by Sound Advice Strategies. Connect with me on Instagram at katehanleyauthor. Here's a little preview of what's to come in part two of this interview. So one of the things I will say, which I think is probably maybe one of the best pieces of advice I could give people is you have to be strong enough not to believe the things that you tell about yourself. You have to be strong enough to reject that negative self-talk. I'm Kate Hanley, and this is Finding the Throughline. 
More to come on Wednesday.